make me sound smart, like I know many words and speak them well. Today is Monday, June 17th, 2019, time for episode 85 of the Barnhart Podcast. In some ways, it feels like we have just did this a couple days ago, and and uh, in some ways, it feels like it's been a month and a half since the last podcast. Uh, a, a lot's been going on, and yet at the same time, it's been weirdly calm. I don't know how to describe it. Well, on this end, I had, I had a guest, so that kind of tends to make time fly, and we didn't record while I had the guest here. And then yesterday, Sunday, I recorded another video. So I that always makes things time fly when you're having fun and all that kind of stuff and got it up and haven't had much sleep since then, but that's all going good. Um, but did you have, did you have a good, uh, a good uh, Father's Day on Sunday? It was more restful than the typical Sunday. And, um, yes, that there was, there was definitely some efforts to try to try to pamper dad a little bit. And, uh, there's also the happy yet somber, uh, recollection of one. This is the first father's day where I have one less child on earth than the previous father's day. So I do have the consolation of, of St. Tiny princess. I can pray to and ask her to, to pray for me and help out. But, uh, that, that was a definite difference that I thought about more than a few times yesterday. Indeed, indeed. Speaking of which, you have a little um, you have a little fundraiser drive going for the sisters who help take care of of Saint Tiny Princess. Yes, yes. it was just after the last uh, recording. In fact, um, mm-hmm. it was it was on June second. There was a fundraising drive at their convent, and so I, I thought, oh, if I would have thought about this, I would have said it on the last podcast. Of course, you had your June fundraising drive as well, so I didn't want to directly compete with it at that time. So maybe the separation is good. But I, I tweeted out um, any donations during the month of June ending in 62, as in, you know, $50, 62 cents, anything, anything ending in 62 cents, I'm going to give to the sisters at the end of the month. Um, to your, to your PayPal account and to your snail mailbox. Correct. The, the Roman McLean, or wait, no, it's the Super Nerd Media. Um, yeah. it, it's the normal donation uh, one, supernerdmedia.com slash donate. So the anything ending in sixty two cents, and the the reason for that is the their fundraiser was on uh, June second or six two on the way we do calendars in the United States for international listeners who for whom that made no sense whatsoever. Um, after tweeting that, I got several comments back saying it should have been this number, it should have been that number. It's like I was just being unoriginal and going by the date. So uh, already had a few donations come in, and like I said, at the end of the month, I'm going to bundle that all together. And uh, if if you want to be um, if you if you want to be completely anonymous, uh, note that, and I'll I'll just mention to the, on the sisters that some anonymous donor gave this amount. Otherwise, I'll 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 give their their your names for that. And they, it's it's kind of like one of those IRS things. If somebody gives a donation and you're identified, they have to send a letter to you so, so that you can you can. Um, <laughs> I think I think there's some rules on on thresholds. If if it's under a certain amount, they don't have to. But that's that's why you may be getting notes of thank you from them is because they have to acknowledge it under IRS rules unless you explicitly say this is anonymous. In which case, I just bundle it and they can give it to me and I'll just round file it. So, yep, cool. So that's that's the news here. Um, that's most of the news here. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> sometimes no news is good news. <laughs> oh, there's been a lot of news elsewhere, and yes, I I did see that this morning that that um, you you posted a new video, and I was like, oh man, I I have been out of it and and um, concentrating on doing my own stuff over here. 
I, I distinctly recall you, we, we had a, a question to the podcast saying, are you ever going to record another video? And you adamantly said no. And then, then, then it came out. It's like, no, we did do one more. And then, oh, now there's a, now there's a second one. So yeah, that, the obvious that question works. has to be is when is there going to be part three? Uh, yeah, there probably will be, to be honest, because when I was putting the, when I was putting the PowerPoint together, I, I got to where I had, I'd looked down at the, you know, at the light box layout of the PowerPoint presentation. I guess it technically wasn't PowerPoint. It's, um, what's the Apple called? Keynote. Keynote. It was Keynote. And I looked down and I'm at slide 75 and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I have to stop or this is going to be, this is going to be three hours long. And thankfully when, when we got done, you know, and the videographer hit the stop record button and I looked, I looked and said, how, how long? And it was, an hour 45. It's like, oh, that's wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I was thinking, I'm thinking, knowing, knowing from previous experience, um, if I've got 75 slides, uh, boy, that I was thinking it was going to be two and a half, maybe, maybe flirting with three hours. So the fact it's only 145 and I left so much out. There's so much more. There's more, there's more coming to light. More is happening. Et cetera, et cetera. So I, I don't know. We'll see. Um, if if I need if I needed to do another video, I could lecture for another hour forty five. I'm sure I could put together a PowerPoint presentation where I went into other you know tangents and this that and the other. But like I said, there's stuff that I didn't even couldn't even begin to get into because it just would have, it would made it made the thing too long. And this accomplished, I'm happy with what this one accomplished and it's going over very well. Thanks be to God. And I'm, I'm sure that you are just absolutely cringing that the, the phone that we used unbeknownst to us while we were recording, it was doing what I'm referring to as, as mood lighting. It's a, it's a, it's a very interesting, um, lighting as you, as you will see on it. Um, it's just it's just dark it's a little bit dark and and has a kind of a weird the glare coming off of the the monitor coming off the screen that i'm standing next to kind of gives it a a weird glowy aura kind of a cloud and and then you know i'm in the dark mood lighting so i was looking at that thinking oh super, super nerd is going to cringe when he sees this but you know I'm, I don't care that much and it's good enough and not willing to re-record it over something like that. And it's, it makes you appreciate, um, you know, like back in, back in the day when one used to sit down and actually watch things like the Academy Awards and there would be all of these awards given for, you know, lighting and cinematography and so on and so forth. And now that I, you know, you've got this experience, it's hard. It's hard to get lights pointed at you in such a way that you don't look like um, Bella Lugosi or something like that. You know, you don't have huge circles under your eyes or or just look crazy or creepy. And it's really difficult to do lighting and all that kind of stuff. So it makes you appreciate the people who are doing that. They they actually do have a skill set. And and you, super nerd as a as a photographer, I, I know that you're really interested in uh, photographic lighting and so forth. And it, it is a, it is a profound skill set, and it requires, it requires all kinds of equipment, which one I really don't have. I just have two, um, really 
cheap kind of Ikea slash Walmart um, torch lamps that have, it's a torch lamp, but then it also has a reading lamp with it on an adjustable arm on a, you know, one of those adjustable arms. And so I've got two of those, I've got a pair of those and just using those and trying to get them in the right place and point them in the right direction. And it's not easy to do. And then you, you couple with that, the, the fickleness of, of the phone camera itself and the poor phone camera, I can kind of understand why it was, why it was struggling a bit because it, I think it was just unsure whether or not it should be focused on me or focused on that very bright monitor that I was standing next to. So I think that kind of freaked it out a little bit, but again, it's good enough. Hey man, I used to give, I used to give cattle market commentaries on my cell phone while driving that to AM agricultural radio stations and the quality of the sound was low. So I still continue to be impressed by the fact that you can just do something like that and have the thing, have the thing uploaded to the internet and the world able to see it within just a matter of hours. And I could have had it up even sooner, but I, <laughs> I elected to take a nap. So, <laughs> so there it is. It's there. And yeah, maybe at some point there will be a, a, a third, installment on on the on this question with regards to Pope Benedict's failed attempt failed attempted partial abdication um but you know the other thing that I'm thinking that it might not be a bad idea to make a video presentation about is this whole priestly celibacy celibacy thing um people really are are not getting the the gist of what all of the priestly celibacy stuff is about and what the truth is with regards to priestly celibacy going all the way back to the beginning um yes the church allowed priests to be married but i and i think we've i'm pretty sure we've talked about this on the podcast before and i can't i just can't remember when yeah, i think we were just talking this about this beforehand uh whether or not it was a couple of weeks ago i don't think it was that recent but i do know yeah. that we've talked about it in the past i just don't remember how much detail we went into because i know this was something we've been kicking around for months of having mm -hmm. as a like a marquee topic for a podcast but i think it's just been tangentially there and it keeps getting bumped for other things and then buildings in paris catch on fire and then we just can't yeah, get around it, to it exactly and th the main point of the whole priestly celibacy thing they say well the they were married oh saint peter was married the apostles were were all married except saint john yes that is true and for the first several generations there were married men who were priests and bishops here's the deal what is under what was understood fully understood by everyone up until just a few short decades ago is that those men who were married as soon as they were ordained priests they stopped having sex with their wives and that is called living in perfect perpetual continence yes they were married but they were continent. They stopped having sex with their wives because they are now ordained as priests. They are espoused to Christ. They are espoused to his holy church, and they are offering the holy sacrifice of the mass, which is a deeply 
nuptial act. There are three motifs of the mass. They are nuptial, sacrificial, and then the third, which is which is the by far the least important motif, is the motif of it being a meal, which is of course why the infiltrators glommed onto that when when the asteroid hit and in the it trying to protestantize everything they're trying to tell everybody that the most important aspect of the holy sacrifice of the mass is not that it's the sacrifice of calvary not that there's any sort of nuptial aspect i mean they've tried to completely purge that whole motif no they're just pounding the, the all this is all this is is a meal this is just a meal it's a meal it's a meal well it is a meal but that is that is the in the hierarchy of the or i should say the ordinance of these motifs not the hierarchy the ordinance the the motif of the holy sacrifice of the mass being a meal is the least important what come the the in order in order what comes first is the nuptial motif the bridegroom is married to the bride okay what what proceeds out of that nuptial love of Christ for his church, what proceeds out of that nuptial love, which is first, is the fact that the bridegroom then lays down his life and sacrifices himself for the bride. And if you think about it, that makes sense. It wouldn't make any sense that um, he sacrifices himself first and then after the sacrifice there there arises some sort of nuptial dynamic no that doesn't make any sense clearly what what comes first in order is the nuptials bridegroom bride proceeds out of that i the bride the bridegroom will lay down his life for his bride and then as as you have tying it all the way back around it is a a meal and what is the connection between meal and bringing it back around to nuptials well it's a wedding banquet you see um and one of the cool things there's a there's a good book by a, a guy named brant petra p-i-t-r-e and it's i believe it's called the jewish roots of the eucharist fascinating read because you're you're seeing what all of these hints and motifs of of the mass and of the Eucharist are in the old covenant context. And one of the things that struck me so hard is that he talks about um, at a wedding reception, we're all familiar with this, when the bride and groom feed each other the piece of wedding cake. And then some low-class people will then smush the piece of cake they'll smush the piece of cake in each other's faces and that's that's absolutely horrible i've always thought that was horrible before i even knew about this context um it's it's classless it's just it's it's disgusting D don't do that don't don't ever do that make sure your children know not to do that it's just it's awful and when you realize what the context of the feeding each other the piece of cake thing is you realize that it even takes on sort of a quasi i don't want to say blasphemous but it's it's just really really inappropriate to do that so you read this book by brant petra the the jewish roots of the eucharist and he describes 
that where that ritual that we all know in, you know, post-Christian modern civilization, this little feeding each other uh, ceremony, that's actually a Jewish, ancient Jewish ceremony. And at a wedding, at the big wedding party, um, the bride and the groom would take, of course, not a piece of cake because they didn't, they didn't have cake. They would each take a piece of, wait for it, bread. They would stand in, stand in front of each other, facing each other. They would hold up. They would take turns holding up the piece of bread, look at their, at their spouse, and say, this is my body. Eat it. And then they would feed it. You know, they would put the piece of bread in in the other spouse's mouth. Uh, sound familiar? <laughs> and so what you realize is, is that when our Lord did this at the Last Supper, the there was a context for this. And, and the apostles all recognized what this was, that this was this nuptial ritual that people had been doing taking what but in the context of the of the old jewish wedding ritual it was it was symbolic it was symbolically holding up a piece of bread saying symbol symbolically this symbolizes my body and then feeding it to the other person at the last supper the the huge light bulb going off over everyone's head was oh this isn't symbolic Oh, this is what he was talking about when he gave the bread of life discourse. And he's talking about eat my flesh, drink my blood. Oh, 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 now we're cooking with gas. All right. All right. So this whole thing of this take, eat this, this is my body. And then feeding it to the beloved spouse Th this all this all makes perfect sense and they see what's going on and it's this intensely nuptial act except it's the it's the it's the greater reality than just mere human man woman marriage we're now talking about the greater reality which man woman marriage as as important as it is the foundation of um of the fa the family of human civilization, the means by which children are are procreated and reared, um, as important, critical as that is, it is actually a lower reality, which is ultimately pointing to the higher, greater reality, which is Christ, the bridegroom. Um, his his love for and espousal to his church, it is um, pointing to the greater reality of the Eucharist and um, you know the communion, and it is also ultimately pointing to the the obviously greater reality just coming off of Trinity Sunday of the Trinity itself. So God the Father loves completely God the Son. God the Son receives that love completely and then completely returns it. And that, inter, that intercourse of love yields a third, which is God the Holy Spirit. Um, so human marriage and all of these things are pointing actually to the higher, greater reality, even as important as human marriage is, it's still derivative of something greater and pointing to a greater reality. 
And so with the Eucharist, I mean, they just, they're just going, oh, okay, we see what you're doing. It all, it's all making sense now. So, I mean, I'm sure our Lord absolutely, explicitly, and, and if you read the, the visions of Anne Catherine Emmerich, she makes it very clear that at the last summer that he, he is explaining after, after the parts that are recorded in the gospel. I mean, th that's the thing that cracks me up. People think that all that happened, all that was said, all that was done was recorded in the gospels. And of course, the gospels say exactly the opposite. It's, I believe it's the end of, of St. John's gospel, if I'm not mistaken. He yeah, specifically he, said, he says, says many things are written, many more things have been said than can be written in, in the books of the, uh, or in these books. Yeah. If, if we wrote everything, paraphrasing, if we wrote everything down, it would, the books would fill the entire world. I mean, d can you imagine the conversations that they all had and, you know, what our Lord explained to them and Anne Catherine Emmerich in her, um, in her visions, she saw this, that after, you know, the main part of the Last Supper was done, that our Lord then took, I believe I'd have to look it up, but it's St. Peter, St. John, and either James or Andrew, but probably James, almost certainly James. Um, and and he took the three of them aside and sh and showed them. He, he showed them how to offer Mass and explained everything, which makes sense, duh. And, and Emmerich says that she clearly recognized it as what we would recognize as, you know, our our venerable rite of Pius V, you know, it was it would have been, it would have looked very much the same. Um, and so you have this intensely nuptial motif. So the point being back to priestly celibacy. Okay, if the Jewish, if the Jewish priests, when they went on their two-week um, they would work in two-week shifts. There were a bunch of, of Levites all around, and the way it would work is that they would shift every two weeks. Someone would go, a, a, a priest was only on duty two weeks out of the year, and then he probably had another job, career, means of supporting himself. So when the Jewish priests were getting ready to um, go begin their two-week shift to go and and offer you know, sacrifice in the temple, which remember was, was slaughtering animals. They had to um, fast and abstain from the marital bed for two weeks before they went on duty for their two week shift. So they're continent. They're obviously, they're not with their wives when they're working in, in the temple. So they're obviously continent for the two weeks that they're actually on duty, but then they're also engaging in marital continence for two weeks before in, in a preparation, in a fasting preparation, a purification, so to speak, before going on duty in the temple. So let's, let's just think about this. If they needed to abstain from the marital embrace for two weeks before going on duty, slaughtering animals in the old covenant uh, sacrifices, how much more do you think that a priest today who is offering the holy sacrifice of Calvary, who is espoused to Christ and his holy church, how much more does he need to be continent and because he's in he is in a nuptial relationship with the church? 
with Christ and in, in also in the sense that the priest is is alter Christus, that he is another Christ, that he then is the bridegroom. He's an he's an another bridegroom who is espoused to the church. So yes, you've got men who before were married. And then once they became priests, and it was not, obviously it was not uncommon, especially in the very earliest days of the church, that it was, you know, it was middle-aged men. It was gray-haired men who were converting, being ordained, um, being elevated and made bishops, so on and so forth. But here's what everyone understood, everyone understood up until not too long ago. As soon as these married men were ordained, the, the the marital relations with the wife stopped, period. Not not for just two weeks or anything. You entered into perfect perpetual continence. And so that's how we ended up with things like in the early days of the church, and they try to they try to lyingly co-opt this, that there were these female deacons. And they say, well, it was it was the wife of the priest. And everybody says, well, see, yeah, well, I mean, look at that. They, they were married. Well, yeah, they were married, but as soon as he, the man, became a priest, they both entered into perfect perpetual continence, and then she was a Remian, but then you, you, don't, you don't hate her. They're not anta antagonistic. They still love each other, and so they're living, probably at this point, uh, probably living separate, but nearby, you know, but living a Josephite in a Josephite marriage and the wife is now kind of, you know, being around and, and being around the church and helping when, with the baptism of women and, you know, things like that. <laughs> Let's be honest. She was probably cleaning. She was probably doing, you can imagine, you can imagine what a woman would be doing as the, as the now continent, but still wife of a priest. She would be doing all the things that we can we can imagine any middle-aged woman would be doing if she were puttering around a church, she helping was, out. She was, it was the proto-version of the Third Order of St. Saint, Saint Martha. Ah, very good. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. Oh, that's a really nice way to put it, in, indeed. Um, and so what then what happened, and this is this just goes to show you that there have been big, big problems with quote unquote the East since since about the year 1000. When the when the East kind of breaks off, the East then kind of says, "Well, yeah, we've got we've got married priests, we've got married men, and yeah, just just abstain from the marital bed for you know 48 hours or something before." And I think today somebody told me that. It's kind of sort of implied with Eastern Eastern priests that you should abstain from the marital embrace for 24 hours or something before you offer divine liturgy. Uh, no, you should be living in perfect and perpetual continence. And this is the this is the dirty little secret in uh, canon law right now in canon law that nobody wants to talk about. We've got these permanent deacons, right? Why did the infiltrators want these permanent deacons? They wanted to get people used to seeing married, sexually active, non-continent men on the altar. 
and they wanted to get it to where people were totally fine with that. Not only have people been totally fine with that, it's, oh, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it this and that? And I'm, and there are, there are, there are some absolutely excellent men out there who have basically kind of as a second career. I mean, think about permanent deacons. What, what is it? It's almost always men who are, you know, older, are able to do it, um, you know, as a, as a kind of a weekend only job. I know, um, I think two of the permanent deacons that were in the, the Novus Ordo parish that I came into the church through, one of them was a, was a weather, was a weatherman on one of the little, on one of the smaller, um, Denver, uh, news channels, um, married, but then there were also men who were clearly, they were retired. So this was kind of like their, their retirement career. Um, but I've heard from, from permanent deacons over the years, as this question has been discussed and I've written on it and so forth. And they, they've told me there was, there was no, no talk, no nothing about us being, um, perpetually perfectly continent. In fact, it was almost kind of celebrated, understood that we were with our wives, you know, in the sense of the marital embrace. The only thing that they said about marriage is that if you become a permanent deacon, the um, your, your wife has to agree to it. Well, that harkens back to the true the true paradigm from the very earliest days of the church, of course the wife had to agree with it because the wife had to consent to living in perfect and perpetual continence. That's why, that's why the wife's consent is so critical in all of this. Um, but today for the permanent deacons, the wife has to consent to the man being ordained a permanent deacon. And the man has to agree that, if his wife should predecease him, that he will not remarry, that he will remain unmarried should his wife predecease him. Okay. But, but it's, it's understood and it's the camel's nose under the tent that these men are not living in perfect and perpetual continence. And why do the infiltrators do that? They wanted to get people used to it. And so the deacons that I've heard from said this was nobody told us anything about this. And it's exactly the same as the guys who come over through the Anglican ordinariate, the married men who are, you know, either Anglican or there are some Lutherans. Heck, I think in, um, I think I just read that they're doing in South America, they're doing Pentecostal deacons married with kids. They're ordaining them Catholic priests. And but the point is, is that they are not telling these men the truth that if you are going to be ordained a Catholic priest, you need to ha stop having sex with your wife because the offering of the holy sacrifice of the mass is an intensely nuptial act and you need to be 100 percent engaged in the only nuptial uh, encounter, lack of a better word, that you should be engaging in is offering the mass. Not anymore. You're not going to be offering the mass, engaging in this nuptial act, and then going home and doing the same thing with your wife, because that's, that's 
it's a, it's a species of polygamy or I wouldn't call it adultery, but I call it polygamy. It's a species of polygamy. So this is all messed up. That's why they've been driving towards all this. But, you know, with the, they're going to get, they're already, they released today, this morning, I think, the Instrumentum Laboris for, that is the the syllabus, the outline, the agenda for this Amazon synod that they're get, getting ready to have this fall. And it's, they're, they're just straight up, they are going to abolish priestly celibacy. What is the ultimate end goal of that? They aren't they aren't going to be satisfied with just having sexually active men, openly sexually active men on the altar offering the holy sacrifice. Where they want this to go is they want fake married sodomites on the altar offering the holy sacrifice. I mean, seriously, do you honestly believe that Satan is, is going to stop? that he's going to back off and that he is not going to take this to its absolute extreme if he can get away with it which it, it's clear that he that he he could there's absolutely the J, uh, Jasmine Martin FJ um contingent out there who who are fully on board and would have no problem and are 100% driving toward the ultimate blasphemy and the ultimate sacrilege of having a fake married sodomite openly offering the holy sacrifice of the mass. And it's that's where it's going to go. And that's what all of this is about. And that's what all the priestly celibacy stuff is about. So there you go. It strikes me that if you don't have a good grounding and tradition and understanding how we got to where we are. And I didn't even know the whole um, Old Testament Jewish uh, ritual, mm -hmm. wedding ritual of, of the spouses giving each other the, the piece of bread and, and mm -hmm. the symbology of that. But if you didn't have that connection with the past, let's say that somewhere 60 years ago, somebody decided to change things out of whole cloth, mm -hmm. you may not realize what all has been thrown away here. And then not just change everything out of a whole cloth, but then actively um, um, propagandize and and um, enculturate you to believe that anything before sixty years ago is bad and stupid and wrong and. Uh, less evolved and less developed and less sophisticated, barbaric, medieval, et cetera, et cetera. So they've, they've trained people to not only not have any idea what their history, their tradition, their heritage is, but when on the off chance, the people should happen to catch a glimpse of it somehow, some way, they've told the people, they've trained them in advance to hate it, hate your tradition, and hate your history, hate your past. The, the, the first day of the new creation was the opening of the Second Vatican Council, which we, of course, now know is the failed Second Vatican Council. But that's when everything started, and that's what the new point of reference for everything is. And, I mean, for now, at, if, things, if things don't change and we stay on this tra trajectory, I think one could expect... Um, that at some point they will try to call a Vatican III or something like that 
And man, as bad as Vatican II was, can you imagine, can you imagine what a Vatican III, you know, illegitimate robber ecumenical council, what it would try to get away with? So I, I don't a- think they will. And, and the reason I say that is because prior to Vatican II, even though the revolution had been afoot for over five centuries. So I, mm. I will take issue with you saying that this started in, in Vatican II. It's been going on for a long, long time. It, it I mean, it didn't come out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, prior to Vatican II, there was always the idea that you could refer to dogmatic sources that were unimpeachable. So when you had mm. questions about faith and morality... You could always go back to the scholastics. You could always go back to St. Thomas. You could go back to any number of sources. Augustine, yeah, yeah. Any number of sources that were unimpeachably true. And the, the vast majority, if not all of the bishops of the church would adhere to this and teach it as well. With Vatican II, what you have is the introdu- introduction of ambiguity. And you don't need to crush truth. You just need to... You just need to imply confusion, mm-hmm. Impl- imply that maybe it could be different. Because once you once you put just that little bit of spin on it, then you just let everybody else say, well, if that's the case, then why not this? Yep. If, if, since we don't have that connection with the past, and we know from reading the scriptures, which are inerrant, we know this from 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 uh, church teaching, the, the well, assuming you, you actually follow church teaching and say the scriptures are inerrant, we can see that the early priests of the church and bishops were married men. Well, why don't we go back to the roots of the church and have married men again? It's because exactly everything you just said. It's the the whole nuptial aspect of the priest, the whole married to the faith. It that's why you don't do it. Well, I mean, it's it's the perfect, you know, it was it was simply because in the early days of the church everyone was converting. And and people and lots of people were converting in middle age or older, and you you just you know you had to you had to have these these married men in in order to get as as they you know fanned out from Jerusalem from the Holy Land and fanned out in all of these directions, you got to set up churches, and so in order to do that, you've got to get first you got to get converts and then from from the pool of converts you're getting men and they're usually going to be middle aged or older and most men who are middle aged or older at that point are obviously married um well and not just any of them if you was it mark or the gospel of saint james lays out the criterion for who should be eligible for the the, the sacred orders and these are people who would be exemplary or or have outstanding um, widely known uh, examples of, of uh, virtue in the community. Yeah. So, it, yes, the, in, in most cases, it's going to be a married men, but that natural virtue, once you supernaturalize it, yes, once they see, once the veil is removed and they see the, the truths, yes, and, and, and of course, given in that point, back in that time, middle-aged men would be grandfathers already, so the... Right. They're, they're not married anymore so to speak in a sense i mean yes they, they their their wives are still alive but they're not still producing yeah, offspring their wives their wives are postmenopausal exactly that's a great point too and so yeah for a lot of them the combination of oh my goodness i'm i'm going to be a, a 
priest and I'm going to offer the holy sacrifice, um, coupled with the fact that we've already got our children, our grandchildren, um, your postmenopausal, um, yes, it's it's really in a sense no problem, not much of a problem for us to take this vow of. Um, perpetual perfect continence. But as St. Paul says in his letters, you know, if, if you can do it, if you can be um, um, celibate from the very beginning, and remember what's the precision of terms here, celibate means not married. Um, continent means not engaging in sexual intercourse. And of course, the only licit framework for engaging in sexual intercourse is within the context of marriage. So that the implication is that if someone is living in continence, it's that they are not married. But then I suppose you could also, you could technically say that an unmarried person is also continent, but the, 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 the true precise meaning is a person who is married, who is not engaging in sexual intercourse. That is the full perfect definition of continent. And St. Paul says it's better if you can just be celibate from the very beginning. Um, you know, I think even in one of his letters, he even use, uses the word eunuch in a, in, a sim, in a symbolic sense, of course, not, not in the sense of actually castrating anybody, but eunuch in the sense of you've, you've never been married, you are not married, you're, you're celibate from from the get-go that that's the best if you can do that be a virgin you know if you can be a virgin and enter into the priesthood or for for women of course entering into religious life whatever um obviously the the ultimate manifestation of that is being a virgin um and that's of course you know the the perfect, the perfect following of our Lord, who's obviously, obviously virginal. Um, and so that's, that's the, the ultimate. And so as the centuries progress, and there's more and more and more and a higher percentage of the population is, um, is Catholic, is in the church. Okay, now you're getting into where there's enough people that you can start recruiting out of the pool of young men. So you start training young men when they're in their teens and early 20s, and that's when they're being ordained priests and they're they're celibate. They've never been married. Um, it's so that that's the precision that no nobody understands anymore. It's completely lost. Everyone, I'm, and I mean everyone across the board, I'm always surprised. People who should know better, people that I'm just shocked that they don't, they don't understand this. They, they look at married and married men, including the apostles, including the apostles, and they're, they're working off the assumption that because these were married men, that, well, of course they were having sex. Well, no, that is 100% wrong, and it was obvious to everyone up until just a few decades ago that it was obvious that they were not having sex if they're if they're priests and they're offering the holy sacrifice. That's how far gone we are. That's how far things have fallen. That's how Protestantized everything is because what what is the scandal? What is one of the great, numerous, horrific scandals of Protestantism? Married men, 
married men having children, et cetera, et cetera, sexually active men running around holding themselves out as quote unquote priests, as quote unquote clergy, when in fact they weren't. And that whole mindset has infected that Protestant infection, that scandal has entered into all this. And so I've I've called this, I've called this for years. You've got all of these priests who are leaving the pre who have left the priesthood, who are leaving the priesthood. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm marrying my baby mama. There's all the EWTN priests and there's the, you know, the Legion and Thomas Williams. And now this other Legion priest, um, Thomas Williams's best friend who married him. What's his name? Jonathan Morris, who was on Fox news. And, and by the way, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think everyone else is thinking this, and I'm just going to say it out loud. Yes, I've watched videos of Jonathan Morris. Yes, my gaydar is absolutely pinged on the guy. I, I think we're all seeing this. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know for a metaphysical certitude, but let me say this. Let me say this. Two things. Diabolical narcissists, um, when they are when they descend into that... Um, they can start as being heterosexual and then because as you descend into greater and greater diabolical narcissism and greater and greater sin, um, you devolve, you devolve into worse and worse sexual sin. So you might start out as heterosexual and then end up bisexual or whatever. Um, if, if at some point in the in the not too distant future this father jonathan morris character does one of his i'm going to go on tv and make an announcement sort of a deals instead of dude why don't you just go away just go no i have to go on fox news and i have to tell everybody my story so that all of these kathys will go on the internet and say oh my Gosh, I'm so happy for you. I am so excited for this next new phase of your life. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, it makes me sick. Anyway, if, if this Jonathan Morris character who absolutely pings my and I think everyone else's gaydar, if this guy at some indeterminate point in the future goes on TV and announces that he is quote unquote marrying some, you know, 24 year old twink guy and they're adopting or they're, excuse me, buying a pet child, I will not be surprised. I will not be surprised at all. There you go, folks. I've gone ahead and said it out loud because I know we're all thinking the same thing. He has gone out of his way to be gender nonspecific when talking about, um, you know, what he wants and he wants to he wants to get married and have a family. And there is never any mention of marrying a woman necessarily, which you would think in this day and age with all this crap going on, that a man, especially a priest would, I mean, if I, if I were, were doing what he's doing, and this is, this is a stretch, I know in so many ways, if I were doing what he was doing and I weren't, you know, a homosexual, if I were completely heterosexual, I would be going out of my way to make it perfectly clear that I was heterosexual, looking to marry a woman, blah, 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 blah. That's if I, if I were him, 
you would think that he'd be going out of his way to say that, and he's not. Um, and then he just, he, yeah, he has a very, very, um, he has a gay comportment. And I think everybody sees that. And but you, you actually know, he, believe in the faith as opposed to a lot of the people who wear Roman collars these days. Well, exactly. And, you know, it's the whole, well, you know, I was in the Legion and they put pressure on me and blah, blah, blah. Can, can you be any more of a wuss? Man the hell up. Nobody ha- nobody put a gun to your head. Well, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was I was under pressure and Marcel Maciel himself and he told me guy can can you be any more of a wuss? It's just so pathetic. Get, if if you don't want to be a priest, don't be a priest. Leave, get the hell out of there. I I mean, who am I to judge and all that? I just don't understand dynamics like that. But then I've never had any problem in, you know, standing up for what's right and saying, wait a minute, this is this is wrong. I'm out. See ya. It's you have to get up pretty damn early in the morning to, you know, coerce me into doing anything. I, I just really don't understand all those those whiny arguments of. I was under pressure. <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. But um, so that's that. But that's that's the whole scandal and poison of all this. And it's why this crap matters. And I promise you, I promise you, a bunch of these priests that have quit and then gone off and married the baby mama. Oh, oh, the, the anti-church, the infiltrators, they are going to be desperate to get those guys back back in. So it's not it's not enough that we have the scandal of these sexually active priests who are running around, who are having children, carrying on affairs with women and, and men, but carrying on affairs with women. They leave, they get married, then bring them back. Oh, bring them back and give them their faculties back and then parade them in front of everyone and have all of the Kathy saying, oh, isn't it wonderful? And I, a, a few years ago, when the, when the Thomas Williams and Liz Lev thing happened, I said to someone, and it pissed him off royally, and I'm, I'm so glad I said it. I was halfway joking, but only halfway joking, that won't it be something if X number of years from now, when they abolish priestly celibacy, if Williams gets his faculties back so that he can go back to being, you know, Mr. Superstar on Sunday morning somewhere and and they do the deaconettes and then they uh, fake they fake ordain Liz Lev a deacon. And that way, Father Thomas Williams could offer the mass with his concubine wife as his fake deaconette. And I said that halfway joking, you know, these five years ago now. And now it's not a joke at all. I can totally, totally see that happening. I can totally see giving giving faculties back to Williams saying oh we want you to come and say mass at this at such church on Sundays but you can keep you can keep your your job during the week you can totally keep your secular job being the um Mr. Cut and Paste um reporter for Breitbart 
covering covering Rome. Um, yeah, I can I can highlight text, copy and paste it too. Can I make can I make six figures a year doing that? No thanks. Um, so will you you can keep your job during the week? You'll be the perfect model of the new modern married priest. You've got your secular job during the week, and then on Sunday morning you go and you say mass somewhere. And then, oh, wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be nice if your quote-unquote art historian wife, oh, wouldn't it be nice if she could be ordained a deaconette and then you two could offer the Mass together? I, it's not a joke anymore, people. It's all coming to fruition. It's all happening. And again, as I said earlier, why wouldn't it? Why would Satan stop? Do you honestly think that at some point Satan is going to look at all this stuff and say, you know, I think this is far enough. I think I, I think I better back off a little bit here. No way, man. No way. In for a penny, in for a ton. And they're going to push it as hard as they possibly can. And, uh, I don't know. I I told you that this scandal of these priests running around with their with their wives, you know, this going on TV and writing books and boohoo. Don't you feel sorry for me? And aren't you happy for me now that I get to be happy that I've now that I've dumped my priesthood? Oh, uh -huh. this, this really chaps my hide, and people are just shrugging their shoulders, like eh, whatever. Yeah, well, I've got a problem with it, and I'm going to speak up about it. Well, there certainly is a certain number or a certain segment of the formerly faithful who have lost the faith as a result of everything that has transpired in the last 60 or 600 years. But there is also the, there, there's the phrase that I'm going to borrow from a priest saying that Satan has his plans for the pious as well. And mm. In terms of, yeah, it's it's not going to push people out of the church who already left to continue having these kind of shenanigans like you're talking about, but it will cause otherwise good Catholics who are just confused about what's going on and aren't really sure how to make sense of things. It's going to push them toward having the reaction of, Oh, I can't be a part of this church anymore. If this is yep. the kind of crap that's going on, I I'm going to leave. Yep. And that's, that's the Judas approach to the, to the, uh, the dissertation on on eat my flesh and drink my blood, you know, all all the whole crowd left. Judas had made the the decision at that point. It's like, okay, I can't deal with this anymore. And then you've got to have the faith of Saint Peter at that point to say, well, where else are we going to go? Who else has the the uh, the, the words of salvation? Uh -huh. That that's the that's the sublime act of faith of saying, I don't understand necessarily what you're saying. But I know that you are the truth, and I have to follow it, even if I don't understand it. And I, I think that the the vice or the um, yeah, I guess the vice would be it. Just the 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 personal judgment of I get to be the final arbiter of what I think is going to be true. The whole my truth business. Mm. I think we talked about that not too long ago. And that that infects even Catholics. And the idea of if what you're saying contradicts with my personal truth, if, if your dogma runs over my karma, then I'm out. <laughs> but we have to make the precision that things like um, or, or fake ordaining women deacons, that that is we absolutely positively know that that is invalid. You, you, we, we can know that. Um, and 
for example, um, like we were talking about the Amazon Synod that's coming up and we're talking about how they, um, one of the things that they were talking about a few months ago is that they want to let the Indians make uh, wafers, faux communion wafers out of out of yucca, which I believe yucca is a tuber, if I'm not mistaken, um, instead of out of out of wheat flour that we know that that would invalidate the mass. So it's not it's you have to be careful. And I see very I see exactly the point that you're making. But we also have to be careful and make sure that we that we are cognizant of the fact is that there are things that we absolutely can know. And there are things that are that are deal breakers or fake ordaining women to anything, deacon, priest, and they'll eventually push for all of that. Um, we know, absolutely know that that's invalid. We know that invalid matter is invalid for the Eucharist. What would be some other examples of things? Um, uh, so sodomite fake marriage ceremonies or anything like that. We absolutely know that that is not, there's nothing sacramental about any of that. It's invalid. Da, 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 da. Um, so you're not, it's it's exactly the point that you're making. You're not relying on private judgment because you can you can look and see exactly precisely, and it isn't. We can't delude ourselves into say, saying, "Well, this God is permitting this, and I just don't understand it." No, there's there's a few things that you can understand. the The greater mystery is. Um, as as you are, as we both are, we're both fans of the Saint John Eudas very important quote that you know when when people are bad, God sends bad clergy, bad prelates, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so, yes, we are absolutely being scourged and being punished because our culture is so awful and so terrible and et cetera, et cetera. Um, we're getting sent these bad priests, bad, bad prelates. But then St. John Marie Vianney said it back the other way, that if, if the priests are average, the people will be deplorable. If the priests are good, the people will be average. If the priests are excellent, the people will be good. So, you know, you can look at it from, from either direction, um, but it's a valid point. And kind of the mystery is <laughs> how long, oh Lord, I, th I think that's just the mystery that we can, we can all agree on is how long, oh Lord, is the scourge going to go on? Um, but in a certain sense, you really, you can't obsess about that too much because you just, you just got to keep going. And the divine providence is going to, is going to play out the way the divine providence plays out you have to keep doing your best and we have to keep being active and trying to keep as many people from being scandalized and from losing their faith and from going into schism, leaving the church, whatever it is. Keep Ultimately, what we're talking about is trying to keep as many people, first and foremost ourselves, from being lost to hell. That fundamental charity is absolutely essential in all this and cannot be lost under any circumstance. You cannot just shrug your shoulders and say, not my problem. Well, no, because what that means is that you are completely devoid of any fraternal charity. And we know that that's wrong. In fact, we, we have a name for that. It's called diabolical narcissism. You do not. You do not. And if you, if you catch yourself falling into the, those kinds of thoughts, not my circus, not my monkeys, not my problem, 
I can't deal with this. Not my problem to fix. This is this is above my pay grade. It has nothing to do with me. Uh, that that's no, that's wrong. That's wrong because you can you can do little teeny tiny things. You if anyone who has a family, I mean, you've got you've got your children, you've got your spouse. Um, so that's a that's a huge concern, obviously. And then for other people, you know, you can do little things. Seemingly little things can have an enormous impact. And then, you know, you can you can do things to help edify people, explain explain things to people, keep people from being scandalized and losing their faith. And in fact, maybe even help people advance in sanctity. You're you're trying to obviously first and foremost, as with on the airplane, when the when the oxygen masks fall, you put your own on first. Then if you're able to help others around you advance in sanctity, and frankly, shouldn't that be the metric by which you judge your relationships, your friendships? Is this relationship helping me advance in sanctity? Are the people, am, am I helping others advance in sanctity? That's that's a huge metric that you need to be using. And if if you're in any sort of a relationship, be it at work or friendship or anything like that, and you notice that that relationship, that friendship, whatever it is, is dragging you down. If you consistently have to go to confession after being around certain people, doing certain things, this is a this is a ginormous red flag going up the pole saying you need to fix this somehow. Um, if it's fix, fix yourself, if you're the problem and you're dragging other people down, you, you need to square that stuff away immediately. If it's other people who are causing you to, to fall and stumble, you need to reconsider that association altogether. And there are times when it is not only acceptable, but it is morally incumbent upon you to get the hell away from bad company. I mean, open open your missile, go to go to the confessions, uh, prayers before and after confession. It's right there. Bad company, get away from bad company, deliver me from bad company, deliver me from those who have brought me down to this sorry, sinful state, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's in it's in the the gospels. It's in the the epistles. It's all over the place. There are th there are instances where you just need to get away from it. That sometimes there's there's toxicity with other human beings that is so severe that you can't you can't do anything but just get away. And then of course you're you're obviously obliged to pray for everyone, but sometimes there's just not a lot you can do and you know even before I entered the church converted anything like that, I would see um, believe it or not, in the context of my cattle business, it was not uncommon for me to meet a guy, have a client who's a, who's a younger guy, a guy in his 20s, 30s, maybe his early 40s, who's either either his mother or his father was just a crazy narcissist who was keeping who was keeping their child under their thumb wouldn't let them um wouldn't let them succeed expand grow do anything uh try to improve the business and 
but just kept but kept them there on the on the ranch you know kept them there on the place so that they were just under their emotional control and they were they were ruining the person's life i i had some pretty intense conversations over the 15 years that i worked as a commodity broker with guys basically spilling their hearts out saying you know my father is just ruining my life or my mother is just ruining my life with the mother with the father it was usually in terms of business with the mother, it was usually in terms of, obviously, you see where this is going, it was usually in terms of the family with the daughter-in-law, you know, um, that, you know, my mother is crazy and she just, she won't let us, she won't let us be happy. She won't let our kids be happy. It's just, and we don't know what to do because the thing that's so tricky about, especially people in the cattle business, is that they are, these young people are, have either inherited or more likely are set to inherit. So they're living and working on this ranch, which they are going to inherit, and it is presumably their entire financial future. But you've got, if they were unfortunate enough to have narcissistic parents who were abusive to them, then they would leverage, um, they would leverage the, the inheritance of the ranch, they would use that to control the kids. So the kids couldn't leave because if they left, everything everything they'd work for to that point would be gone. They would have nothing. They would have no ability to start from scratch. They'd have no collateral, no anything. They were just they were just chained to this to this real estate, which they were set to inherit, and that's how the parents would control them. So it was really sad. It was a really sad thing to see. That's no way to raise kids. No, or no, cattle. it's not. Or cattle, no. And that, it that's, makes a, for that's a pretty sad. Cattle. I was going to say that's a pretty sad commentary when they do a better job raising cattle than their own kids. Yep. Oh, uh, that's common. That's very, very common. But you know, people. Oddly enough, people actually do emotionally abuse cattle too, and there's there are people who are who take uh take some sort of of joy in you know being less than pleasant to to cattle and stressing cattle and so forth and not not surprisingly people who are nasty to animals tend to be nasty to other human beings too so something something to look out for something to remember yeah i've heard that characterization about uh judging people by the way they treat dogs mm -hmm. which i think it's obviously not the same thing, but it, it's like uh, judging somebody by the way they treat somebody who can do nothing for them. Or, yeah, wait or, staff is the one is the one for me. Well, watch wait, how somebody treats the waiter. <laughs> wait staff can do something for you, and they can do some negative things to you as well. But it's the people who can't do anything for you, uh, positive or negative. How do you treat those people? Uh, That's a really good way of revealing what kind of person you're dealing with. True, true, true. Well, I think we're coming up on an hour. And we're, we're just over an hour, and um, despite the two two hour the two week gap since the last podcast, there's obviously going to be this recording. There's going to be the audio version of your video uh, uh -huh. that'll be hitting the podcast um, RSS feed in a couple of days, and there might be one or two more recordings this week. I don't know. Um, so, for those of you who have been uh, just biting your nails and wondering when is there going to be more content. Very soon. 
Very so. soon, very soon, very soon. And I will, I, I will let the cat out of the bag. We are going to do, uh, the plan is that Mr. Mark Doherty of the Non-Vinny Pachum blog, that he is going to, we're going to do a tandem uh, podcast together so that Mark and I can talk shop about the whole, you know, the whole agenda and the whole Bergolian anti-papacy thing. And it'll be, I think it'll be a very dynamic conversation, especially now, just now after this second video is released. So that'll be, that'll be cool. And looking forward to doing that and having, because the last, who's the last guest we had? It was uh, Bay McFarland about, about annulments and all of that. That's the last time we had a, a third party on the, on the podcast. So we're going to try to get that done, hopefully within the next week, 10 days. And I think that'll be really cool and looking forward to that. I've got the other computer set up so I can do a third channel now. And uh, whether I'm part of that discussion or not, I can definitely uh, make it happen now. Nice. Fantastic. So, yep, things are happening. And I told y'all, I told y'all that the uh, during this uh, un slightly unpleasant <laughs> for me uh uh, for my pride anyway, um, June subscription development drive and, and all of that, that it would be like the public television fund drives, fundraising drives when, yeah, you would have the pledge breaks. So you've got that horrible big sticky post up at the top of my blog. But, but the other side to that is we're going to roll out a lot of, a lot of content while that's there. And then hopefully we can keep up the pace too. It's not like I'm going to, it's not like J July 1 is going to hit and I'm just going to fall off a cliff and stop doing anything. And I do want to say, speaking, speaking of the subscription development drive and, and fundraising drive, thank you all so very, 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 very much. Um, I'm, I'm truly humbled and, all I can say is a million times thank you. And I just and I just want to remind, I've had to send some people, I've had to send some people some emails when I see um, little continue, continue to give email notifications come into my email box. Remember, folks, modest donations, modest donations, please. <laughs> There's there there have been several that have been um, just exceptionally exceptionally generous and i can't thank you enough and yes i am now uh on the next day that the landlord comes for the rent the intention is i'm going to give him two months rent so that will be very nice again thank you all so very much and hooray as we uh said at the last in the last episode of the podcast we've had another priest come online and we're we it's Almost every day now, there are two Barnhart Benefactor Masses being offered. Two, two, two for the price of one. And, oh, the other thing I want to mention, um, Father Not a Spring Chicken, who ha has been doing the Requiem Mass, he was hospitalized again a couple of weeks ago, and he sent me an email to update, and Please, if there's anyone out there, he's he's seriously asking. He's he's really conscientious. He doesn't want to let this intention down for offering this requiem mass, but he is um, he is well well into his ninth decade, and he has been in and out of the hospital a couple of times over the past year or so, and he's really anxious. He really wants me to find another priest who can offer this requiem mass because he's he doesn't want to let anybody down and he's very worried about this. So and it's this is tough because um 
it, it's almost usually a um, it's going to be a, re, a retired priest who is not or someone who is not a parish priest who has the flexibility to be able to offer a requiem during the week. If you're a parish priest, you you pretty much you you know you have to offer you know according according to the missal the the I mean there are times when you can say a requiem but. Um, uh, for a for a parish priest, it's it's much more difficult. For you know a retired priest or or someone who's in a si- situation where they have far more liberty to be able to say a requiem every week if they want to. Um, so if there's anyone out there listening, fathers, and if you would be willing to take this up, um, Father Not a Spring Chicken has. Ask me again after his latest hospitalization, and please try to find somebody who can who can pick up the torch, and I can pass the baton to. So, any fathers out there who would be willing to say a requiem, and remember what this intention is: it's for everyone who died the previous week, not my benefactors who have died, obviously, because I that, mean that was that, my mistake to say it that way once too. My apologies. It's yeah, for no, every no, no, human no, no. being who every was on the earth, died. but isn't anymore. Exactly. And you know, because it seems to me, what was I doing? Oh, I remember where I was and I happened to go into a church and there was a funeral going on and it was, it was a Novus Ordo funeral. And as you can imagine, it was just it it just wasn't good um and i and i thought to myself what is there a way that i could get it to where this person who i don't know i'd have no idea who this person is this person should have a proper requiem how could i do that well we could do it this way we could have one a week and it, the intention is that it's for every person who died within the previous week. And, you know, Our Lady is mediatrix of graces. She handles all that distribution and so forth. And there you go. So um, the call the call is out. Fathers, if someone is out there that can do that, boy, send me an email. Let me know right away. And please, everybody, please do pray for Father Requiem, or as <laughs> I've been referring to, referring to him, Father Not a Spring Chicken. Um, he has been having some, some health issues and has been in and out of the hospital. So please pray for him and for all, for all of the Barnhart Benefactor Mass Priests. Good heavens. I would imagine if the offer came in that it wasn't an individual, but say it was a a house where there is multiple priests, and yeah. the 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 offer is that somebody who is not the hebdomadary for that week could could handle the the requiem, and that's a fancy eighty dollar word in Latin. That basically the hebdomadary is the designated priest who does the the mass for the the house that week, and they have to follow the calendar. And everybody else can either follow the calendar or do votives or, or requiems or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that would probably be just fine, too. It doesn't have to be an individual. The first time I ever saw that word, I, I made myself laugh because I said, well, that must mean Jewish camel. <laughs> because it, it looks like it looks like Hebrew dromedary. <laughs> <laughs> and I still, every time I see or hear that word, I chuckle to myself, and I, I refer to, I refer to that person as the Jewish camel. So that's that's my liturgy nerd joke for the day. Okay, I'm not going to. I'm not going to get say, any. I, I all the donations are going to stop. That's it. Record scratch. I just ruined everything. <laughs> Because I made such a bad joke. <laughs> it, it is funny when you stop to think about the way you were thinking about it, but 
I, I, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, that comes from the Latin word for weak. Or yes. You know, well, there's well, what we're going to obviously do is we're going to Google it, find a nice little explanation of the term, and put that in the show notes because ah, that's how yes. we roll. Because, ah, we can, yes. because we can do this temporal fluxing thing of just because I can't remember <laughs> what in the world it, the, the derivation is at the moment and you can't either, but I can Google it in the meantime. Yes, it has to do with weekly and what would be that? What's Heb? Heb. Uh, well, well, we'll all be surprised together. So <laughs> that'll be in the show notes. Yes, look for that in the show notes. And we're doing the the wrap up out of order. Um, and just mentioned the uh, the priests who who are saying the masses for the benefactors and the priest or priests, uh, hopefully soon, who are doing the requiem mass once a week for everybody, benefactor or not who um, passes from this mortal coil, um, please pray for these priests. Um, pray for their health. Pray for others to join them. Pray for them in general. We need priests. Without them, we don't get the sacraments. Without the sacraments, we don't get to heaven. So pray for them. Uh, email address. I'm uh, doing this out of order. If you have ideas or suggestions, or if you knew the definition of hebdomadary before we posted it in the show notes, <laughs> podcast at barnhart.biz. Uh, the Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you found something of this of value in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value to me, uh, that's Super Nerd for keeping all this uh, electronic facility stuff going. Uh, the email address or the, the web address where you would go to look at this is supernerdmedia.com. And that's what uh, Donald Blaine, PMJ, Marianne, Donald, William, and Charles, that might have been the same Donald twice, I'm not entirely sure, uh, they donated via PayPal and uh, to the sisters. Donations ending in 62 cents. Donald, which that is the same Donald again, Michael and Damien, thank you very much. And um, I'll let you do the sev- Matthew 1720. Sure. Matthew 1720 initiative is, of course, full fasting or whatever you can do two days a week. Um, and the intention is that uh, Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole thing be nullified, that Pope Benedict XVI Ratzinger uh, be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope since April of 2005, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision, and that Pope Benedict Ratzinger repent of whatever he might need to repent of, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision. And if all that achieve, if all that happens, we're cooking with gas, virtually speaking, and we don't want to think of the option of what that is if it doesn't happen. So, indeed, indeed, and we always have hope, and that we know the victory is ours, um, and it's all going to work out in the end. And I've, you know, I've had to give several people over the course of the last couple of years some pretty intense pep talks, and I always open it with, "It's going to be okay." It's going to be okay. Um, now, the question about, as we were talking about, the question of other people, you know, the people walking down the street and even ourselves, that question is still open. But in the big picture, it is going to be okay. And um, the victory is is the Lord's and the victory is our ladies. And we know that. So just just keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward. But keep being active, you know, don't be passive. And I think that's what we're all, we're all trying to do that and pray the rosary, go to mass, go to adoration, step it up, do what you can, do what you can, do your best. And um, we'll try to keep doing it on this end too. 
And speaking of the show notes, I cannot remember the 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 prayer off the top of my head, but uh, there, there's a prayer in my missile talking about uh, the active, and this is along with the the prayers for after communion, but the active future acceptance of your death and all the circumstances that come with it mm. in order to sanctify yourself and save others and to honor Christ and join with, with uh, his passion. Uh, look for that in the show notes because by then I will have found it and typed it up. Outstanding. Excellent ad. Until then, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. God bless.